What's up, guys? Max here, back with a brand new episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. Hope you're all doing great out there, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I hope it's a great Sunday evening back in the United States. We've got uh, Frank in the house from uh, Crayons Ready to Eat. Great to see you. Corporal, Harry Lime Pie, Mud Rock, John, Benjamin, Luciano in the house. Sam, great to see you. Corporal, I think I already said Corporal Larry, what's up? And Benjamin with a $1.99 Super Chat. Wow, thank you guys. Making my Monday extra special out here in Okinawa, Japan. Thank you so much. Uh, those will go a long way to improving the quality of the Scuttlebutt Show as all the Super Chats and memberships and patrons and everything go to keeping this show going, making it the best program it can possibly be. Like, for example, the way that this Tuesday, the 8th in the United States time, 1800 Pacific, we have... Ben Milligan, author of By Water Beneath the Walls, my new favorite book, which I have right here, By Water Beneath the Walls. We're going to be talking about this book, the history of the Navy SEALs. It's going to be an incredible episode. Make sure you guys have your reminders on for that. It's going to be just a special, special day. I am totally honored. It's always great to have an author on the show, and Ben has written my favorite book, my new favorite book. So I just can't wait to have him on the show. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be awesome. Today, I have a bunch of stuff for you guys. Everything from Okinawa to Marine Corps fraud to crime everywhere, all kinds of crazy stuff. And a jet crashed out there. And we're going to talk all about that. Luckily, it's a uh, it's well, I'll give you the updates, but it's going to be okay for those guys who were in that jet crash. I got to talk for a second about the Ukraine Russia war going on. And this horrible, all the horrible stuff that we've been seeing with that, I'm just going to take a moment and, uh, and, you know, continue to share what I believe to be worthwhile information with you guys as it comes across my, uh, my, you know, blotter, my newsfeed, my purview. So, you know, I was watching a, uh, the, the re nuclear reactor on fire I wake up this morning to find that Russia is, you know, sh attacking civilians who are trying to flee um, which is inexcusable and it's horrible and it's war crimes to target civilians like that. And I hope that, you know, Russia pays dearly and that Vladimir Putin plays, pays dearly for this, uh, this act of aggression and violence against innocent people in Ukraine. And as news continues to grow and, uh, and change and, you know, morph before our eyes, I watched some, a great video online talking about the buildup to the Russia Ukraine conflict. And, and I am going to, on behalf of the audience here, I will uh, I will humble myself and a, oh, acknowledge the things that I don't know. I'm certain I'm not the only person who doesn't know a lot of this stuff. So this weekend, and of course, what do I always say? You know, my objective is to see what's right in front of me, what's really there, and uh, and accept it. So I learned some new information. That's all I did. I learned information I'm not here to tell you what you should think or what is the end-all, be-all facts of the matter, but I learned some information. First of all, I hardly even, I don't even remember this. Maybe at the time I knew, but how many of you remember in 2008 when Russia invaded Georgia and did exactly the same tactics that it's doing with Ukraine, displaced the people, overthrew the you know sitting government, and absorbed Georgia? How many of you remember that? I'm curious. And then they did the same thing when they annexed Crimea. And what here's something that I didn't know is that in Crimea, the entire freshwater supply that the people of Crimea rely on to drink water, 
uh, after Russia took it over, came from a river that flew from Ukraine. And Ukraine dammed up that river, cutting off water to Crimea. So the people there basically were suffering from lack of resources and had to move back into Russia. Now, these are not, uh, th these are not, I'm not saying these things for any reason other than to say, you know, if I learned these two things, I, I totally don't, I totally forgot that Georgia ever happened. Totally forgot. I, I remember Crimea in 2014, but you know, 2008, six years later, 2014, eight years later, 2022, I just, um, I just want to, point out the fact of how much information we all still don't know and that it hardly matters because one thing that I don't need any other information to know is wrong is when a government, a military power targets innocent civilians. And there's an argument to be made that when Ukraine offered up weapons and arms to any citizens willing to fight. They made military targets out of their entire population. But I hardly think that's justifiable. You might hear people make that argument. I am not making that argument. I am just saying you might hear this argument. And I think that a military power can identify the difference or should be able to identify the difference between civilians fleeing and insurgencies in their, what would be Russians' eyes, insur insurgencies forming where there is a uh, combat going on. So, Please stay vigilant with information. Please stay active in reading and researching and listening and trying to get as many facts as you can before we all declare that we need to send Americans to war, which is continuing to escalate as America moves more troops into Europe and sends more equipment, including now jets. NATO's announced that it's going to send jets to Ukraine so that they can increase their presence in the air. And as this thing continues to, to escalate and escalate, um, I don't know, I guess on a more, uh, a more, um, uh, I don't know, cynical side of me says, it's just funny to hear the no more blood for oil people demand that we go to war for oil. Because if there's one thing that, uh, the war in Russia is the Russia's war against the Eastern Bloc is about it's, it's resources like oil. So you know, just one of those things, I guess. What are you going to do? It's just the world that we live in is uh, sometimes inconceivably horrible, and we have to reconcile with that, and people will suffer in war as they always are um, when there's a war or a conflict going on, and hopefully uh, people are able to get out of harm's way if that's what they wish to do. If they wish to stand and fight, then they should fight bravely and, uh, and for their homes, I, I guess is what I think. So in the chat, Sam says... How do you feel about the lack of a no-fly zone? Well, a no-fly zone is basically a declaration of war against Russia, right? If we're going to, if, if the United States and NATO were to declare a no-fly zone over Ukraine for Russian aircraft, are we willing to go ahead and shoot down Russian aircraft and kill Russians? That's the question. So when you say, in my mind, when you say, how do I feel about a no-fly zone? What you're asking is, how do I feel about declaring war on Russia? And uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. It's very complicated, I guess. I, um, I, I think that if Russia continues to target civilians, then I think that there's just justification to defend those civilians from uh, being terrorized like that with something like a no-fly zone or destroying that convoy or something else. But I don't want to uh, conflate the problems with um, considering that I'm not actively involved in them. And I always do criticize people who are not involved giving their 
absolute opinions on things and what should be, you know, who am I as a civilian, as an uh, observer, as a bystander to say who I believe should go into harm's way? Um, if I'm not willing to go myself, then I'm not willing to send somebody else. And here I am, not there. So uh, I always consider that. I always take that into consideration. So what's up, MC? What's up, Eviana? What is up, everybody who's checked in? Uh, Tiffany, what is up? Great to see you guys all in the chat. Wearing my Okinawa shirt today, which is available at scuttlebuttshow.com, because Okinawa made it into the news this week. I got to get into this first story of today. Okinawa made it into the news. I shared this with you guys once before, but now it's actually made it into Stars and Stripes magazines, and it's kind of interesting here the uh, to the extent at which military medicine and safety and food safety, how those things are ran, the extent is how far we'll go to uh, declare food ready to eat for the military, I guess. Army veterinarians can inspect and keep expired food on commissary shelves. Hey, expiration dates are just a recommendation, right? I mean, if it's good enough for a horse or a dog or a cat, it's good enough for us, the military community of the United States of America. So this is from Camp Fought. We've been seeing these. I can confirm these are, in fact, very real, very real things, very real stickers out here. This is next to a Greek yogurt. This photo went viral out here on Okinawa on a Facebook page called Okinawa Questions, which is where people in Okinawa uh, argue about nonsense on Facebook effectively. And I saw that on Facebook first, and I had to go see for myself with my own eyes, and I, and I did. I can confirm I have seen these stickers with my own eyes. It's true. It says, this item has been inspected by the veterinary personnel and is of wholesome quality, flavor, and appearance. Hey, it's good yogurt. This yogurt's a this yogurt's a good old family yogurt. Two kids, uh, you know those probiotics be reproducing. It's uh it's wholesome quality. Flavor is uh honey strawberry, which is you know delicious. And appearance has that honey strawberry look. And the shelf life has been extended seven days. Hey, it's yogurt. What's gonna happen? Is it gonna get yogurtier? You know what I'm saying? It's uh, up to the shoppers on Okinawa, I guess, because if you're looking for yogurt at the Foster Commissary in late January, you were met with a notice posted above the Greek Gods brand in the dairy case. The shelf life for the honey strawberry flavor in 24-ounce plastic containers was about to expire. By the way, we've been having serious food shortages out here in Okinawa, too. The shelves have been empty, especially of dairy products. I haven't been able to get yogurt or my favorite milk in quite some time. This item has been inspected by veterinary personnel. It says veterinary personnel. This uh, caused a minor stir on social media. Here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. Get your hua on. You got Army veterinarians care for military pets and working dogs, but they are also food safety experts capable of extending the life of food products on commissary shelves. A veterinary food inspector extended the ship the expiring yogurt shelf life at the Foster Commissary by one week. Why did they choose veterinarians for this? Uh, you know, it's a mystery, I guess. Enlisted personnel are generally split between animal care and food safety, but officers in the U.S. Army Veterinary Corps are trained and licensed to do both. Veterinary services only expand, extend the shelf life of food products that are safe and of the highest quality. Of course, why, why would you say anything else? Our stringent inspection and assessment programs are only, only allow us to extend the shelf life if it poses no health risks to our community, or a.k.a. common sense. Veterinary inspectors, U.S. soldiers, and Japanese employees overseen by Army warrant officers 
are involved with the Defense Department food supplies from the warehouse to the commissary. They check product temps, food handling practices, cleanliness, expiration dates, product recalls, senior food safety officer, chief warrant officer three, Marquez Walker wrote in the same email. They inspect imported food at the Defense Department warehouses before it reaches commissary shelves. Then they make food safety and quality assurance inspections and daily walkthroughs in those commissaries. Enlisted veterinarian food inspectors receive eight weeks of advanced training at the U.S. Army Medical Center of Excellence in San Antonio. They study microbiology, chemistry, deterioration, preservation, and packaging technology. They did not say how often inspectors extend products' shelf lives in Japan, but he said it is routine. But some shoppers are not as confident. I am food paranoid. I am expiration date observant. I obey expiration dates for the most part. Within a day or two, I'm usually willing to uh, eat whatever. But if it's a week, if it's two weeks, I'm not smell checking it. I'm not doing visuals. It is going out of town. It's going down to the trash. I'm sorry. I try not to waste food. My wife especially hates wasting food. But I am just, I'm paranoid. I see that food expiration date and I just think of foodborne illnesses and I freak out and I don't want that. No, thank you. It says, somebody says here, I would not feed my children anything that's shelf life has been extended. Marine Corporal Brianna Gray says she has two infants. Petty Officer First Class Patrick Glenn of Tanina, Washington said Tuesday he doesn't really buy much dairy except for coffee creamer, which lasts months. But if a product still tastes good, he's not going to let it go to waste. Being a fleet sailor, sometimes what we got is what we got, right? Glenn said, oh, Glenn, that is true. Can't tell you how many times, especially in bag lunches, I've been given expired, moldy, disgusting food, you know, mushy apples and all kinds of stuff. I remember one time, quick sea story here, sitting in a Fujara, Fujara shipping port. My ship was in Fujara. We were there. We bought a crate of cartons of chocolate milk, the little cartons with like the straw on the side and you pop the straw into the thing and you enjoy your chocolate milk. And a buddy of mine takes his uh, straw and puts it into the chocolate milk. We're sitting down to watch some TV and he puts his uh, into the chocolate milk and he takes one sip and he gets up and runs to the bathroom and says, don't do it. (laughs) To which I poked, I took my straw and said, what could it possibly be? I poked my straw in there and took a sip and I wish I didn't. It was like a combination of sand, rotten milk, Ugh, it was disgusting. Now, keep in mind, maybe we deserved it. Maybe we deserved it because we took milk that had been sitting out 140 degree temperatures. Milk, 140 degrees out there sitting in the sun outside all day and took it and put it in our little, you know, birthing refrigerator and then gave it our best shot to give it a drink. And it turned on us, turned on us bad and it wasn't worth it. It was a bad day. It was a bad day to be sure. So, Careful with your uh, careful careful with your food choices. Just take a look at your food. Just take a look, you know, before you uh, dig in, and be safe with your food. That's all. I'll leave it at that. We got tons of stories to get to. Let's see. Larry says, "Smell." I've sniff tested a few milk bombs in my day. Oof. Nuggets. What's up? Says, "Why take a sip?" I just had to. I guess I had to know what could be that bad. I had to know what could be that bad, and. Uh, I got my answer. I got my answer. Uh, It was really rotten milk. So sometimes you just got to know, right? I'm just one of those people who, you know, when you say it smells bad, I got to sniff it. When you say it tastes bad, I got to taste it. And if Justin's out there listening, I still have those chips that I got to eat. And I'm just trying to work up the courage. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. 
but it'll happen. I'm just petrified of doing it. So we've got, um, you know, we've got some crazy stories today. I've got some stories of crime. I've got some stories of punishment, crime and punishment. Let's, um, let's start with the crime. Mother of slain sailor sues feds for failing to block mentally ill former Marine from buying a gun. So this is the question. If you're diagnosed with a mental illness and you're a veteran, should you lose your ability to own a gun? You tell me in the comments. It's a touchy subject, isn't it? The mother of a sailor who authorities said was shot to death by her mentally ill Oceanside, California neighbor is suing the federal government, alleging it failed to block the accused shooter from buying a gun. The suit alleges that after Eduardo Ariola, um, that's his name, just saying, a former Marine was diagnosed as schizophrenic and discharged in 2017. No one put his name into the FBI database listing people prohibited from buying firearms. How many times, guys, how many times do we see a story like this and there's a system in place to prevent this kind of thing from happening and the system just isn't being used? What do we need to do? Do we need to be better about putting the right people in the positions to use the system or does the system need to be made easier or more accessible or more user-friendly? I don't know. I don't know. The following year, according to authorities, Ariola bought a firearm from an Oceanside gun store two months before the fatal shooting of his neighbor, who was a Navy corpsman, Devin Rideout. The shooting occurred shortly before 4 p.m. on July 20th, 2018. Prosecutors say it was unprovoked. Rideout, who's 24, was walking her puppy and just steps from the front door of her apartment on Los Arbolitos Boulevard. She had just arrived home from work and was still in uniform. According to testimony at Ariola's preliminary hearing in 2019, because he witnessed, because he prevented witnesses from helping her and told people he fired because she was trespassing. Jesus. Horrible. Horrible. It says uh, the federal suit filed earlier this week by Rideout's mother, Leslie Wood, alleges negligence and wrongful death. It says the Department of Defense and its agents failed to enter information which would have prevented De Devin's killer from acquiring the gun he used to kill her. When Ariola was a Marine, he deserted following a hospitalization in late 2014 and 2016. He was arrested and charged with desertion. According to the lawsuit, he was found incompetent to stand trial in 2016, and then doctors found it unlikely he would soon be returned to competency. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and had auditory hallucinations and delusions. He was discharged in the military. In summer 2018, he was living with his family in the apartment upstairs from Rideout. Authorities said he had no other sort of relationship with her. During the slaying investigation, police lifted the hood of Ariola's 2018 Toyota. There, on a plastic reservoir, they found words and names scrawled with a black marker. Interesting. Among the names was Rideout, and at the bottom of the list, R.I.P. Jesus. So we had, like, a kill list? He had a kill list underneath the hood of his car? Ariola has pleaded not guilty to murder and a special circumstance allegation of lying in wait. His mental competency has come into question in this case at least four times thus far. Three times he has been found competent. The criminal case is on hold pending his fourth competency hearing, which I guess they're trying to say he is competent to stand trial. But um, if he is found competent to stand trial, then sh would he have been competent to own a gun? I guess that's the question I'm struggling with right now. Like if they're saying that he is not too schizophrenic, to be held accountable for the murder. So he was in a clear enough state of mind to kill her. 
then was he in clear enough state of mind to not be schizophrenic? And then did he legally own the gun? So I guess the outcome of the that's a isn't that a that's a huge catch twenty two, because I guess what they're saying is, for the mother, if you're the mother, the only way you can argue that the federal government was negligent is if this person was, you know, not competent to stand trial. Which means if you're right that he was too incompetent to own a gun, he won't face charges for the murder. He'll end up in an institution. Huh. That's a that's a tricky one. That's pretty tricky. Let me know what you guys think about that in the comments down below. I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts. <sighs> Mental illness is not a joke, Mudrock says. Yeah, it's very true. We just had we've had many stories like that. We've had the guy, the Green Beret, who took the gun into the bowling alley. We had the Green Beret who beat his wife and children. We had the Marine who shot those people, those ambushed those officers down in Florida. <sighs> the list goes on. And I've, uh, and I've known people who've been killed by gun violence in Southern California. I had a buddy, he was a Marine and he shot some, not really, he was like an acquaintance. I knew him through people and, uh, he shot a female ass outside of a bar. I think he was, uh, definitely struggling mentally at the time. And he had a gun. There's a lot of guns on the street, a lot of guns on the street. And, you know, with, uh, with all those guns on the street, they're likely to end up in the hands of people who will use them maliciously, nefariously, criminally. And people talk a lot about gun control, but I think one of the greatest problems is we don't charge people strongly enough who use guns in the commission of violent crimes. Should be common sense. If you use a gun in a violent crime or you own a gun illegally, the punishment should be severe, severe and swift. And then maybe we'll have less gun violence. I don't know. It's hard for me to take, you know, calls for gun control and gun advocacy, ad, you know, gun control advocacy groups seriously until we start taking gun violence seriously. I think if you could do the latter, I would be much more supportive supportive of the earlier. Just me. That's just my personal opinion. Matthew Witt dropping bombs in the chat. What is up? Buford, nice to see you and everybody else in the chat. Great to see you. By the way, guys, a reminder that our uh, our Air Force Captain Kim, the you know pickup artist, will be premiering on the courtship tonight in the United States, and then um, we'll be talking about tomorrow when I catch up on that episode. So we've got a uh, because I did that whole thing on Captain Kim, which you can go watch that whole video on the channel right now. I didn't cover this story, which now today I will cover it because it's interesting. So let's talk about it. Driver pulls up to Miramar military base in San Diego and falsely claims a bomb is in the vehicle, prompting road closure. How to become the most unpopular person on a military base? You create traffic at the gate, which it sounds like it's what this person did. San Diego police shut down a stretch of Pomerado Road near Marine Corps Air Station Miramar Wednesday after a driver pulled up to the base and falsely claimed a bomb was in the vehicle. <sighs> Lame. The driver, who is not a member of the military, arrived at the base at 2.45 p.m. exactly when people are trying to go home after making the claim the individual was taken to a U.S. Marshal's office for questioning and the vehicle was searched. You know what the problem with this is, of course... If you uh, if you make a accusation that you have an explosive 
they're probably not just going to start poking around the vehicle because the fear is, of course, you'll detonate something in the vehicle. So they would have shut down that whole gate. They would have shut down that whole gate and then they would have called in EOD. And they could be, you know, who knows where they are at the time or what state of readiness they're in. So then they got to show up. They probably get a dog, a, a trained military working dog to, you know, sniff out explosives. And then they'll go through and explore every inch of that car to determine that it's safe before they don't let anybody go near it. Because, of course, you're going to be safe rather than sorry in a case like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I'm not saying any other outcome should happen. That's exactly what you should do. But it's, I only say it to demonstrate how annoying it would be to be at work that day trying to go home. No evidence of explosives were found, it says. The vehicle will be held at the base until the driver is released or transferred to local law enforcement. Pomerado Road was closed from I-15 east to the avenue of the nations for about two hours while military police investigated the driver's claims. Two hours. Until 1645. Oh, my God. So that's completely annoying. Uh, man, I would be so mad. I would be, If you guys know how base traffic is, I would be so mad. They don't say the motive. It's unknown. I can't wait to hear if they do come up with something because I'm very curious. What could the motive have been? You guys tell me in the chat. What do you think the motive was for something like this and what the punishment should be? I would love to hear your thoughts. So John says, who goes home at 1445? Well, when I was working in San Diego, it was common for us to have our shift from 6 to 14, 0630 to 1430, something like that. And the night shift would come in. Miramar is a Marine Corps air station. And that means a lot of people there work at squadrons and a lot of people would be getting off around that time, especially people who work, uh, you know, on a flight schedule and they're either leaving because they had an early morning flight or they're going to work because they have an afternoon flight. There's a whole nother group of people going to work at exactly that time. It's just the worst case scenario in every possible way. Plus, a lot of times, if you're smart, you'll schedule 1,400 appointments. That way, when you go to the appointment, you just go, ah, it's already 1,500 Sergeant won't care, you know, PO2 won't care. I'll bounce up out of work. Fake explosive scare is a serious offense. Very, very true. Corporal says Space Force shuts down in 1400. That's right. Larry D says, I wonder if the bomb sniffing dog knows his life is in danger. Larry, I'll tell you this, and I've talked about this on the show before, but what, um, what I experienced working with military working dogs in Afghanistan was that one of our dogs had PTSD and it had been, the dog had been in three, I believe, IED blasts. And if it heard, if the dog heard an explosion, he would run under like a desk or something and get very scared. But when asked to perform its duties, the dog was always ready to go. And it also was not scared of gunfire. So I don't know. I don't know how to, uh, you know, explain it. I'm not an expert on this. I'm not, you know, I'm not qualified to extend the life of yogurt on the commissary shelf. So I, of course, am not a veterinarian. Who would have ever thought that would be adjusted? Whoever in their lives would think I would say a sentence like that and it would totally make sense. So we had, um, so we had this dog who was incredibly, uh, you know, 
kind and gentle and sweet and uh, and helped us raise a little Afghan pup and all this stuff. And also was a military working dog, not a bite dog, but a, a sniffing dog and had PTSD. So imagine you're a dog who can who cannot conceive of explosions, right? Dogs don't think about like, what if there's an explosion? That doesn't enter their mind. Then you're in three. And now you think an explosion could just happen anytime. You don't know why it happened there. You don't know that it can't happen back in, you know, Detroit or something. You don't know that you're, this dog's in Arizona, retired, living the good life. For all it knows, an explosion could happen anywhere, anytime. Dog doesn't understand that Afghanistan, Iraq are the only places that explosions happen. Military working dogs are heroes. They save lives and they sacrifice their own. And they do know what they're doing. They know what their job is. They train for it. And they just do it. And, you know, they're born into this life. And a lot of times it's all they ever know until they're retired, usually either from old age or uh, or injuries. And then if they're lucky to live with a handler or somebody adopts them. And a lot of times if they're a bite dog, they're too violent to go to a home and they have to be kept in custody or put down. It's uh it's a sacrifice the dog is making that I truly appreciate and always will. And I just wish that they could know how much we love them for what they do. So I've got a crazy story, a, a series. I have a series of crazy stories here. This one I do believe we had mentioned before, but I've got some stuff to add here, including a sentencing announcement. And so let's get right into it because time is already running out on today's episode. Teacher faces court-martial related to sexual assault of a minor while serving in the Army. Why? Damn. Why do we have to get so many of these? A Davenport, Iowa teacher is on unpaid suspension and is facing U.S. Army charges related to child sexual assault offenses. Gary Goins faces court-martial based on four criminal charges stemming from alleged sexual assault of a minor while he was serving in late December 2020. Goins is a Davenport teacher who once ran for the Bettendorf School Board and is a U.S. Army reservist at Fort Bragg. He previously worked for the Rock Island Milan School District and is active in the Boy Scouts. Shocker there and is a certified wrestling official. So you can imagine this is a person who is a total creep and gamed the system so that they could be as creepy as possible. Absolutely sick. Um, uh, Remember the Army soldier that we had who was a, uh, like a, like a Sunday school teacher and he took the kids to religious camp. Do you guys remember that one? They use the community of the military where children are often corralled into classes, schools, events, and, uh, and use their status as a veteran to gain trust and access into programs like sports and, you know, uh, boy scouts so that they can be the worst person in the world. The Army's charging documents describe Goins as a staff sergeant with the Security Assistance Training Company. The Davenport School District's Human Resources Office confirmed Goins has been placed on unpaid leave and is not teaching. He was hired in 2013. Official charges were filed March 19th. The charging documents do not say where the offenses allegedly took place. By the way, guys, this article is like a year old, so I'm just rehashing what he was originally charged with. And then we're going to talk about the sentencing that he got. The charge also alleges Goins sent text messages to the minor communicating indecent language. The army says Goins texted the minor saying, I'm sorry, you were so sexy. You are sexy. When was the last time you had sex? Crazy, insane. The fourth charge accuses Goins of lying to a diplomatic security agent when he claimed he did not have the minor's 
cell phone number and lying again when he told the agent he the minor voluntarily entered a bathroom with him uh, and he tried to get the kid to delete those texts. And this, what this actually is, interestingly enough, the update that I have here for you guys is that this Davenport teacher, the assaults occurred in Saudi Arabia. So how that's a twist there. It's actually happened in Saudi Arabia. So it turns out that Gary Goins here, there's a photo of right here, was sentenced this week to, he, so he got his sentence to three and a half years in prison after entering a guilty plea. So he pled guilty at a court martial in Fort Bragg. So he, he was charged by the army for this. So he was charged by the army and it appears that this happened while on duty. The former staff sergeant, former teacher, and one-time candidate for the school board was ordered to immediately begin serving a sentence at the Midwest Joint Regional Confinement Facility in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Leavenworth. He was convicted by a military judge pursuant to his plea on one count of sexual assault of a child between the ages of 12 and 15. So we covered the charges that he had there. He was suspended from Davenport Community School District after he was charged in March 2021. So as soon as he was charged, he was taken out of the school, but it was already too late. In addition to a dishonorable discharge that he got, his rank was reduced from E6 to E1. So he got out as a private is that just a private right isn't isn't one just a private and they said because of his guilty plea and the circumstances he could serve less than his entire uh 30 or three and a half years because they earn five days of confinement for every 30 days of confinement so they earn five days of confinement credit for every 30 days of confinement so as long as they behave themselves so for every every month you get five days so basically every year you could get 60 days taken off your sentence so in two years that could be four months. So basically he would get out in like two and a half years instead of three and a half. So in December of 2020, Goins sexually assaulted a child between the ages of 12 and 15, initiating intercourse. He texted the minor, all this stuff. Um, and he lied to a diplomatic security agent when he was accused of it. Here's the picture of him right here. So he got his face all over this. So it sounds like while in Saudi Arabia, probably for army work, he committed these acts of uh, SA against a minor. And then when he gets back to the United States, an investigation um, is is uh, uh, created, determining what happened. And then he goes to court martial for it, where he gets kicked out, dishonorable prison time, E1. You know, you can't make this up to the victim. There will be damaged forever, but his life is, is effectively over. So he's going to never be able to do anything ever again. He's disgraced. Um, and hopefully he is made to register and stay away from children and never be a Boy Scout leader or a children's sports coach or a teacher ever again. But sometimes these systems do fail. We're going to talk about some failure of some systems here in a minute. What a gross individual is right. Pedos everywhere. Yeah, please check your neighborhoods. Please check your neighborhoods on the uh, registered sex offenders website to make sure you're not living next to um, any uh, people who could mean to do you harm. That's what I would say. So believe it or not, and maybe you don't want to believe it, but I actually have another story about that same topic as our next story. And then we're going to talk about stolen valor. So today's jam packed with some crazy stuff. We've got Kansas National Guard soldier pleads guilty to exploiting an 11 year old in a very uh, inappropriate way. So 
We've got back-to-back cases breaking like this. A southeastern Kansas man with the Army National Guard, so another National Guard fella, pled guilty to compelling an 11-year-old from southwestern Missouri to make child adult content or like adult content featuring children. The worst thing, the worst imaginable thing you can do is what we're talking about here. Let's just put it that way. So we've got Christian Sinclair, 21 years old of Chanute, entered the guilty plea during a hearing Wednesday in the Western District of Missouri's federal courthouse in Springfield. He faced one count of sexual exploitation of a child. Oh, my God. Prosecutors said the crimes occurred between August 2020 and June 2021. So that's almost a year. They came to light after a captain with the Kansas National Guard reported to police that Sinclair was sending adult text messages to the 11-year-old while their unit was deployed in Arizona. Deployed in Arizona. Maybe this was on a border mission, something like that. Sinclair's fiance at the time told the commander that her partner had admitted to cheating on her with the child. What? Investigators later learned that the child sent adult content, you know, pictures requested by Sinclair over Snapchat. Oh, disgusting. Oh, my God. Does that make her an accessory? According to prosecutors, Sinclair faces a minimum sentence of 15 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Great. Law enforcement investigating the case include the FBI, the Southwest Missouri Cybercrimes Task Force, and several local agencies in Kansas, Arizona, and Missouri. The case was prosecuted as part of Project Safe Childhood, a federal initiative aimed toward combating the abuse and sexual exploitation of children. So they're out there doing good work. I feel like the fiance at the time should be an accessory to this if she didn't immediately report him. If he admitted to doing this with a minor, how do they, how do you justify something like that? How terrible. How gross. 15 year minimum for this person. Meanwhile, uh, Goins gets out with uh, two and a half years. So there's a, there are serious discrepancies in the justice system as far as sentencing and liability and minimums and all this stuff. I don't know how they justify something. I don't know how you can have that kind of discrepancy in sentencing and nobody goes, hey, uh, we should figure this out. We should um, balance these things out a little bit where people uh, can't be getting... 700% increases, you know, sevenfold sentencing for the same crime. And what I'm saying, in other words, is going should be getting to 15. How does somebody get off with two and somebody else gets 15? How is that, a, how is that any sort of judicial standardization? I don't know. It seems crazy to me, but I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Not my, not my thing, I guess. Not my expertise. If there's one thing that I am an expert in, it's talking trash about people who do horrible things on the Scuttlebutt Show here. And Stolen Valor is up there as one of the, you know, one of definitely the worst things that you can do. When you commit Stolen Valor, you lose honor forever. You know, you basically lose your honor your integrity, your reputation forever. And so we've got a story here. Now complete with sentencing, now complete with sentencing for a Marine veteran who decided that the best path forward for him in his life was to be 
a total stolen valor dude. Marine veteran sentenced to six years in prison for fraud scheme. This is this has everything. This has police involved, FBI involved, Marine Corps involved, money, international scams, fake phones. This is a good one right here. So I can't wait to share with you guys the details of this stolen valor fraud scheme right here. Now that we know what's going to end up happening with this guy, it's a great time to talk about all the facts that came out during this case. So, man, this one's crazy, you guys. In order to convince the wealthy whitefish philanthropist Michael Gogwin to fund bogus covert military operations across the globe, and by the way, you might hear that and say, you know, how do you, what an idiot to fall for a, you know, fake international military operation, like privately funded. Well, we're going to talk about that. Matt Marshall spun one elaborate deception after another while portraying himself as a high-ranking intelligence official on a hero's crusade to quash terrorism, even going as far as to get a tattoo of the U.S. Marine Corps Force Recon insignia, which he never was. I mean, that's really, really desperate. And he sent his unsuspecting victim a string of prayer beads he claimed to have removed from the body of a dead terrorist. A flourish engineered to add color to his claimed CIA affiliation, according to federal prosecutors. So a lot of uh, people in Afghanistan would carry these prayer beads that they would hold and kind of like, you know, think, this is not of, you could probably cancel me for like this, but I mean, kind of like a somebody would, you know, handle a fidget spinner. People handle these prayer beads while they're praying. Okay. That's, the only, that's all I'm, I'm trying to compare it as so people can get, who don't know, can get like a visualization of what we're talking about here. So he's saying that he took a, pair of prayer beads off as a war trophy. None of that was true, it says. But the 51-year-old Marshall grew more duplicitous as his fictions unraveled, contriving a system in which he used a smartphone app called Burner, which, by the way, I know all the Scuttlebutt Show crew here is going to go download Burner now and use it for to prank their friends or whatever, to send himself emails and text messages purportedly from the famed counterterrorism official Kofor Black. An effort to prop up his fictions and keep the money flowing into his personal bank account. That money arrived in the form of wire transfers from Gogwen, whose payments to Marshall and his securities firm Amentor Group totaled $2.35 million, million dollars on Thursday in U.S. District Court in Missoula. With Donald Malloy presiding over the three-hour hearing, Marshall was sentenced to six years in federal prison and three years of supervised release. So that's basically a 10-year commitment to your sentence. But even worse, in my opinion, is he was forced to pay back $3.2 million, including the 2.35 he stole from Gogwin and $900,000 to the IRS. You know what happens when you owe the IRS money or when you owe the courts money? They put liens on your income. So this guy, because now he's a major felon with a disgraced reputation who will never in his life make $3.5 million after this, well, is he's basically condemned to poverty forever. He'll never be able to pay this money back. You can't bankruptcy this stuff away. So if he ever even begins to make money again, it's all going to be taken by the government. So his punishment is extraordinarily life-ruining, okay? So you can feel good that at least the justice system took it out on him pretty hard. He faced uh, three set counts... He was sentenced for three counts of wire fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion. This is, and by the way, this is the plea agreement here. So he pled guilty to all this. The 72-month prison sentence hews closely to what prosecutors requested. So this is like, I mean, they laid into him prosecutorial recommendations for sentencing, everything. Uh, 
But prosecutors said Gogwin himself characterized the depths of Marshall's deception as disturbing. Gogwin's the victim here. And with seemingly no end to the lies he was willing to manufacture. This story goes deep. The court is well aware of the elaborate lies Marshall told about serving as a force recon Marine, including claims he was awarded both a Silver Star and a Bronze Star. Silver Star being the fourth highest award for valor if you include the branch crosses um, and maybe Legion of Merit might be higher than a Silver Star in the chat. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but it, Silver Star is either the third or fourth highest award for valor you can receive. If you're going stolen valor, this is what I don't get about stolen valor. Like when people go stolen valor, they go so high. They jump so high on their claims when the truth is you could you could set the bar way lower you would still get tons of credibility and be rewarded for your lies i don't know why i'm giving advice on how to get away with this and you would be way less suspicious but high valor awards are easily confirmable because there's usually a record of them on military websites so those were entirely false. He admitted he made them up. Um, total, totally fake. It is not clear whether he intends to cling to the lies about working for the CIA, though the record is replete with evidence that he was never associated with that agency in any capacity. According to prosecutors, Marshall received an other than honorable discharge from the Marine Corps in 1999 after accumulating 82 absences from inactive duty training. So this guy was a dirtbag Marine who got kicked out after 82 absences, absences from inactive duty training, which I guess means like he was kicked out from the reserves, and it was pre-9-11, so he didn't even serve in post-9-11. Indeed, Marshall's apparent lack of respect for the law and for the sanctity of the military seemed to have an influence on Malloy's sentencing. So they took that into, uh, into consideration. It says here, Malloy says, it seems to me that he gets nowhere with his fraud about the connection to the government. So uh, it was a total failure. Moreover, the judge said Marshall violated an established line of trust he developed over the years with Gokwin working for him and his family. I guess what I can't wrap my head around is how a billionaire gets sucked into, the, into this without the fraud having some high level of sophistication, Malloy said in response to prosecutors' request for an abusive trust enhancement to Marshall's base offense level. You just can't get people to give you $2.5 million without some level of sophistication. So... Oh, thank you. Somebody correct me. Legion of Merit is below the Silver Star. So the Silver Star is the third highest award for valor. I don't know why I got that confused. I, I kind of, I guess I kind of knew that thinking back. Should have gone with my gut. Silver Star is the third highest award. So you went for the third highest award for valor. So let me, let me just give you guys something to think about. Okay. Let me give you guys a real world example of how this might happen. Okay. Rich people potentially who served in the military or always had this great uh, respect for the military. If you're, if, you're, if you're wealthy and you own businesses and you've been around and you're networked and all that stuff, you've probably worked with veterans in the United States. Okay, that's how my experience has been, meeting people that are like, oh yeah, I love working with vets. I work with vets all the time. People with a lot of money and who are philanthropic with their money tend to get involved with veterans groups pretty frequently. Now, imagine it's, July, it's August, 2021. And somebody comes to you and says, Hey man, I've got this 
interpreter friend in Afghanistan. He stuck there with his family, me and some special ops experienced vets. We're going to go get him out, but we need $500,000, man. We need to do this tomorrow. This guy, you know, here's some texts from him. Here's some emails. He's saying the Taliban's knocking on his door. You and I have this, I would never come to you for this, but you know, I just, I have this relationship with you and your family that we've built over the years and I've got to get my buddy out of Afghanistan, but we got to go tomorrow. I need this money. And you know, it's just the right thing to do, man. Well, all of a sudden, you could see pretty quick how somebody could convince someone to give them money. In fact, it happened. People are doing it right now. There are all kinds of groups raising money to get people out of Afghanistan, to get people out of Ukraine. It's happening as we speak. So it's certainly not hard to see how it's easy reading this article going, who would fall for such a thing? Meanwhile, legitimate operations like this are happening daily with many different groups across the country as we speak. And it's good. Like, I'm glad that they're doing it. It's legitimate. But now you, maybe you have that window into how this type of thing could happen. So, uh, you know, interestingly, he's been a this guy's been a schemer for a long time, going back decades. He deceived the Indiana State Police to get hired in 1996, not disclosing that he had resigned from another police department in Marion, Indiana, after he was named a suspect in a residential burglary. He's a total dirtbag. So he was a police officer who then was suspected of being a burglar and then he resigned before he faced any charges and then got hired at another police department. Again, system's not working. He lied again in 98. He parlayed his fake military service into a coveted position on the state police emergency response team, the ERT. But then they found him out. His duplicity was discovered. So they actually found him out at some point that he was uh, doing this. Again, he scanned people when he uh, put pressure on uh, this person in this, uh, uh, the, the defendant here, Gogwin, and he told him that he had a life-threatening medical condition. He used his phone and the burner app to send himself fake messages from doctors saying that he was sick. So that's really a horrible thing to do. Marshall used the same burner app to send himself fake messages from the alleged CIA colleagues and essentially claimed the CIA operative in the movie Sicario 2 was based on him. He said he's the main character from Sicario 2? Dude, bro. Seriously, come on. He uh, appeared for sentencing in a dark suit and tie, clean-shaven head. Uh, his misdeeds... Marshall apologized for his misdeeds and the collateral effect it has had on many people. I'm a man and I will fall on my sword, which I make no hesitation in doing. If this guy looked at me and said, I'm a man, I'd be like, mm, better check. You know, at this point, he lies so much, better check. He could be a, he could be lying. He could be a girl. He could be an alien, you know, at this point. Malloy was unmoved. The judge instead prescribing a punishment that falls on the high end of the federal uh, sentencing guidelines. The judge is also a veteran, so he got to, to sentence this person for stolen valor, being a veteran himself. The defendant's range of deceit is disturbing, particularly as the federal investigation revealed that he not only lied extensively about his military background, but also about relatively inconsequential matters, such as having earned a soccer scholarship to a college he never even attended. He's just a comp uh, compulsive liar. He's a compulsive liar. He is a horrible person, but apparently his family said he's a good father. Even though he's got kids from two different women in two different relationships, they did write him character statements saying that he is a good father. I don't know about that. Um, the defense made claims that he was getting attacked for being this horrible person, but he actually wasn't as bad as they say. Meanwhile, 
The indictment outlines his scheme beginning in April 2013, in which Marshall fraudulently convinced Gogwin, referred to in documents as a businessman and employer to Marshall named John Doe, that he was an ex-CIA agent and a member of an elite force reconnaissance unit in the Marines. He told Gogan he had ex- engaged in covert missions around the world and asked him to fund an off-the-books paramilitary mission in Mexico, according to a November 4th offer of proof submitted by prosecutors. Believing Marshall, Gogwin agreed and wired him $400,000 on April 25th, 2013. All right? He said, based on Marshall's material misstatements, that he would use the money for the missions. Gogwin said he never would have given Marshall a dollar if he'd known the truth and that his story was so elaborate he couldn't imagine that it was made up. So Marshall promoted a fantasy world filled with fake missions carried out by fictitious operatives for clandestine agencies in a faraway land for phony purposes. He should have been a writer. It was all fake, but unfortunately it was paid for with real money from a real victim and that money never went anywhere except to Marshall's personal accounts. The lengths to which Marshall went to carry off this fraud can hardly be overstated. He used a phone application to send fake text messages. He created false emails. He sent the victim prayer beads collecting, collected during a fake mission. He got a tattoo to falsify, signify, falsely signify that he was a member of force recon, etc. The list goes on. I want to thank Assistant U.S. Attorneys Tim Rascott and Ryan Weldon, Trial Attorney S. Derek Shugart, National Security Division, U.S. Department of Justice, the federal agents who poured countless hours into uncovering the scheme and bringing Marshall to justice, U.S. Attorney Johnson added. So this was a thorough, big-time investigation. <sighs> and you know, um, the worst part of all of this, maybe, is that he got that force recon tattoo, which now he has to go to prison with a fraudulent force recon tattoo. And you know they're going to see him in the showers and people are going to figure this out. And uh, he will be probably held to account for it. So now we have a whole nother layer of justice there. That he's got this permanent symbol on his body as evidence of his fraud. And so justice has been served, I guess. What do you guys think about that one? Let me know in the comments. Oh, man. Oh, man, that guy went really big, Sam says. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, let's see, what do we got going on here? I got one more story for you guys. It's a quick one, and then we'll get out of here just in time. Please, guys, please, you'd be doing me such a solid if you help me share the event on Tuesday with Ben Milligan. Please share it to your socials. Invite your friends. I'm telling you, Ben Milligan is just a special guy. All right. He's a special guy. He's intellectual. He might be the single most educated person on the planet on the story of the development of the Navy SEALs and military special operations history. Okay. So please help me share that. You're going to want to hear this one. Okay. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you're there live, you can put your questions in the chat. All right. It's going to be awesome. So please, please, please be there for that episode. And with that, I've got uh, one last. One last, oh, Sam says, by the way, is it time for squad this Tuesday? Uh, yes, I will try to jump on squad after the Ben Milligan interview, but I'm probably going to be talking to, I'll probably be late, but I really want to get back on the squad. And I'm sorry that it's been a long time since we played squad. Um, with everything going on, the games have taken a backseat and I, and I owe you guys an apology for that because I know a lot of people on this channel are here because of that. And so, yeah, the plan is to get more involved in that. I know there's been a big update to squad recently and, uh, and I would love to get back in there with you guys. So just so you know where I stand with that. Last story of today. Two Marines eject but survive South Carolina fighter jet crash. Wow. Glad they walked away from this one. Two Marines were able to eject and walk away alive when their fighter jet crashed on the family plantation of South Carolina's former governor. What are the odds of that? 
The F-18 Hornet was on a routine flight over Beaufort, South Carolina area Thursday afternoon. Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort said in a statement at the crash site, there was smoke coming from the aircraft and a brush fire. Former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford said the jet crash where his late father is buried on Coosaw Plantation, which is his family's property. Sanford said his siblings grew up there, he told the Charlotte Observer. Sanford's sister, Sarah Sanford Rock, saw the jet's engine catch fire and turn nose down toward the ground. That's a pucker moment right there. I said to my brother, no, 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 this is bad, Rock told the Post and Courier. And then about a second later, there was a colossal explosion. Whoa. Rock and her brother John went searching for the plane and found the two Marines who had ejected. She said both were able to walk on their own. Amazing. Amazing. Well, if they ejected, hopefully they, uh, you know, it sounds like their shoots worked, no problem, that they didn't crash into one another in the sky and that they landed uh, on relatively level terrain, didn't hit any power lines or anything. According to militarymachine.com, each F-18 Hornet costs more than $34 million. They cost $6.5 million a year to operate. So you guys can have an idea that this will be definitely what the military calls a class alpha mishap, a.k.a. the worst that there is. So this was from uh, uh, VMFA-224, Marine Corps uh, Squadron. And it is, man, it is awesome that they were able to walk away from this one. It's too bad that the plane crashed, but all too often you hear stories about pilots not being so lucky. So I'm really glad they were able to walk away. That is a major good day for those guys. And not only that, but nobody was hurt on the ground when the uh, plane hit either. So no innocent victims on the ground. Property damage sounds like relatively minimal. Um, And, you know, two Marines have a hell of a story to share after today. So that's going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. Thank you, Ancient Neophyte and Ben, for your super chats. I really do always appreciate that so much. Those keep the channel going and keep me motivated, and it lets me know that you guys appreciate the content, which is awesome. I'll be back tomorrow with a normal scheduled Scuttlebutt Show episode, and then on Tuesday, 1800 Pacific Standard Time, we have got the epic Ben Milligan episode. Uh, Just... I can't express the level of excitement that I have for that. With all that being said, thank you guys for joining me today. You're awesome as always. I look forward to talking to you all very soon. And for now, that's the scuttlebutt.